0: and i would come home with a lot of stress right obviously doing this millions of dollars in real estate debt my wife finally just said to me look you need to leave that at the office you just have to have that want to learn about people you know it's not about money it's about my father he hated every job he ever had i think and i just from the beginning i said look whatever i do i'm going to be happy and enjoy what i do even if it doesn't make me a, a lot of money Yeah, my name is uh, Dave Childers. I live uh, right outside Nashville, Tennessee. Most of my business is uh, done here in the middle Tennessee area. I own a company called Residential Investment Advisors, and we are a real estate brokerage firm that specializes and focuses just on selling small to mid-sized apartment buildings. So anything from a two-unit duplex to I'd say about a $2 million, which would give you about 50 maybe units apartment buildings. I started the company in 2011 and I'd actually kind of tell people I kind of got in this business the backwards way I was actually an investor buying those type properties and just saw that there was a need for an agent. That's all they did. And they actually knew what they were talking about. There's a lot of agents that go and people that get their real estate license and then will start trying to sell property. They don't understand this business. And so we kind of took that that and ran with it. And in addition, I own, I think I told you Austin previously, I, I've got about 300 something units that I own and we count doors in this business. And so I own a, a five or six different apartment complex complexes, smallest one being eight and the largest one being 114. Really, my life revolves around tenants, landlording, investing in all aspects, stuff I'm doing personally, stuff the company's doing. We've got a management wing now that does some property management for people and we have roughly 1,500 doors under management. Everything I do is in this little box, I would say. And I've, I've tried to narrow that box down and make it even smaller and focus even more on what we do. How did
1: you end up getting into the real estate game?
0: Yeah, it's a really crazy story. But you know, growing up, I had a... I'll go way back when I was growing up in Michigan, a little town called Sanford, Michigan. My best friend's mom was a real estate agent. And she was always there to be able to take us to basketball games and basketball practice. And I saw the freedom she had. And I think that just stuck with me. And so I moved to North Carolina when I was 16 and ended up going to a school called Appalachian State University. Another long story we can get into later, but I left school, moved to Nashville to work with this Christian band and we flew out to California and I met a millionaire that was more involved with the church than he actually was with his business and he just you know he was a super smart business guy and we spent some time together and he said hey if you you know you ever want to start buying real estate let me know and I'll pretty much help you out and I kept a friendship with him and kind of just uh, had him there as a resource when you find people like that that are willing to help you you've got to cultivate that relationship and so that's what I did for another year or so and then when I finally was kind of tired of being out of the road traveling United States with different bands. I said called him and we started doing some flips and start we actually bought our first rental property together and I think I was twenty six. So I, I'm thirty seven now so I've been doing this eleven years.
1: Was he in California?
0: He was in California, yeah. He owned a large subcontracting company out in the Northern California area. And I think at that time he had a hundred and 20 employees, roughly. High school graduate, your typical millionaire next door, doesn't really flaunt his money, very generous to people, mostly who are willing to work hard and help themselves, essentially, because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a better life, and he saw that he was willing to be part of that. That's where that kind of started. So yeah, he had a company out in California. It was funny, when I met him, I I said, man, they must pay youth pastors out here really well, because we had gone to his house. And he said, oh, no, I I own a business and it kind of runs itself, but I volunteer at the church, I think he said, three Days a week at that time.
1: You said he had like 100 plus employees. So did he see something special in you to go ahead and kind of mentor you and let you get in on that flip?
0: This is the crazy thing. I'll fast forward. We're still best friends. I mean, I tell people he's 13 years older than me and he's probably one of my best friends. I mean, brother, best friend, business partner. We're still business partners of 13 years and we kind of hung in there together and it wasn't ever easy because you know we, this all started before the crash and his business obviously suffered being in a home construction business out in California. All of us were hurting and I think we stuck together and, and saw it through.
1: Oh, I guess if he saw something special in you, because it sounded like if there's 100 employees that maybe, and you're willing to come back after you still went back on the road that maybe you did see something
0: yeah i don't know you know we got into a good conversation and and that's part of another thing about my story you know my wife and i we moved here we didn't have i mean the band was paying me pennies that's all they could really afford and my wife and i were about to buy a condo for i know people are going to listen to all over the united states we're buying this thing for 50 i think fifty-five thousand a 1300 square foot condo California? No, it was here in Nashville. Okay. And so, you know, it was a great deal, cheap living. So we bought this condo. We started talking about real estate deals and and I think we just clicked it. You know, I told him I'd just gotten done reading Rich Dad Poor Dad and that was a life changer for me reading that book. When I was at school, I got three years done. I was a finance major and those were concepts in that book that we had never even talked about in college.
1: I guess you were in Cali, then it sounded like you went back to Nashville, but you're still working with him? Or can you explain that a little bit more in the transition?
0: So the band that I was working with here in Nashville would fly out to California to, to play shows. Okay. So I only met this guy over the a week, a long weekend. I never lived in California. California. I just kept in communication with him from Nashville here.
1: Okay. He was just giving you advice on real estate. And can you tell us really, I guess, from the band, it didn't sound like you might've had a lot of money saved up. Did you just jump right into real estate or how did all that happen?
0: You know, I think if you're going to get into real estate, I know this is... I don't want to just talk about real estate, obviously. But you know, in real estate, it, the best you can get in—you could start wholesaling deals. You can just—if you—if you can go out there and find deals for people, there there are other people that actually have the money to buy those deals. And so I jumped in with both feet after I left the band, and quickly. I had two pretty good wholesale deals immediately, and I think I made twenty thousand dollars on each of those wholesale deals. So, in you know, a matter of six weeks, I had made forty thousand dollars doing two little real estate deals versus working for a band for a three three years and not making that amount of money.
1: That had to be surprising to even to you. Did you think you would make that much coming out? I know you said we didn't want to hit in real estate the whole time because it's more about like the entrepreneurial story and stuff.
0: I think, you know, I look back at the band days that I was in and it taught my wife and I so much about how to live a lifestyle so we could do what we wanted. And I think we lived very frugally people were like how did you live on that amount of money you made and we just we learned ways to save money not spend money and so i think that was like she had graduated college i had 3 years done i think everybody that graduates college thinks oh i'm going to go get these jobs and then we're going to finance a car and we're going to go buy a house and We started off with nothing, and so we had to learn to live on pennies. And so I think if I would have finished college and done that typical get out, go work for a pharmaceutical company and get a company car and all that, I wouldn't have been taught these lessons. And so those years of two years that we lived and did music thing and traveled just, I think was a a really good foundation and started us off right. Because even now, after 12 years of doing real estate or 11, we still have, I think, some of those same fundamental thoughts in our head of how to live. And why I talk about that is because it gave me the freedom to kind of explore some of these entrepreneurial things that I wanted to do because I didn't have this big ball and chain of debt cars, school, houses around my neck.
1: What do you want to talk about as far as you think that's going to be most helpful to our audience?
0: One thing I'd written, I wrote some notes. I got to the office early. I wrote some notes. I grew up... My dad was a cop. He went back to school, became a pharmaceutical rep and I was about, I think, 13 or 14. My mom was a waitress. They just weren't entrepreneurial. And so I always for some reason, like in high school, I started working for two guys who really laid down the the, foundation for me. They were entrepreneurs, multimillionaires. And I started seeing how they lived, even though they had a lot of money and a a great business. And and so mentors has always been a huge thing for me. And, And it might not be like, I don't know, people think of like a mentor as like this real formal relationship, but it could be even something like that where You work for two, two millionaires and you just kind of start seeing how they operate their business, how they, you know, how they live, how they spend their personal money, just how they think. And so throughout my years, I can pinpoint about seven or eight guys who have always kind of been there and, and helped me figure this thing out. And so, so mentoring, finding somebody, if there's a certain industry that you want to be in, maybe find that group of industry people. Cause, you know, we talk about this a lot in real estate is, I'm willing to help anybody that walks in my office and wants to be helped. You know, I have meeting after meeting with people. And so I think there's other people like Jim, the guy in California that we talk about, the millionaire. He was willing to help me because he could see that I wanted to do something And so I I think that's the big thing is finding a mentor, finding an industry that you want to be in, whatever it is, and kind of latching onto that person and sitting in college when I was at Appalachian State, I found a gentleman who worked for a huge nonprofit up there and I met with him every other week at 6.30 in the morning for about an hour. So for two years, I got up as a college student at 6.30 in the morning on a Monday every other week and met with this guy and again same thing i still have a relationship with him after 3 or 4 years and, and or no thir- 13 or 14 years And this guy, I mean, you talk about a busy guy. I mean, there was times where he said, you know, hey, I've got to go. I've got to fly up to Washington, D.C. to meet with the president of the United States. And he raises hundreds of millions of dollars. And he was willing to take that time with me. And so I think there's guys out there like that. But you you just got to go out there and search them and then let them know that you are going to follow through with a commitment to them and show them that you're kind of committed to learning what they want to teach you and et cetera.
1: No, I think that's really important. Those guys aren't going to come to you if you're sitting at home twiddling your thumbs or you're at a job that you don't like. They're not coming to you. Can you give us maybe a tidbit on even when you're in App State or I guess you kind of mentioned that gym in California, the confidence that you had to go ahead and do that and what you did initially to try to reach out to them to make these meetings happen?
0: I think it's just you just have to have that want to learn about people. You know, it's not about money. It's about enjoying for instance, I, back to my father, he hated every job he ever had, I think. And I just, from the beginning, uh, I said, look, I, whatever I do, I'm going to be happy and enjoy what I do, even if it doesn't make me a, a lot of money. And I think I've always just had this, I don't know, it may be interest in, in businesses. And, and so I, I ask a lot of questions and maybe I get annoying, but that interest to get to know somebody. You know, when we flew into California and I got in a 15 passenger van with a guy who was 13 years older than me, and he's driving this 15 passenger van from the airport to the church. This is, I'm talking about Jim. I had no idea that he was a millionaire or that he owned this huge company, right? I was just trying to be polite and talk to him and get to know this guy. I had no alternative motives. You know, it was just, I wanted to get to know him and, and hear about his story. And, and I, and I think that's the, You know, In this business, in in the real estate business, I get inquiries about properties. And I've learned a lot just because you never know who's on the other side of that email. And it could be, I was talking to a guy the other day on a Friday afternoon, he called me real late. And I got to be careful what I say, but come to find out his wife is like super famous and he was, and he kind of messed with me for a little, a few minutes, just not telling me who he really was. And so we probably talked for an hour and then I finally Googled his name and I was like, oh man, I was like, I know who you are and I know who your wife is. And I was on the phone with him. So I'm sitting there Googling him and Wikipedia and I was like, oh, tell so-and-so, you know, your wife by name, you know, he hadn't told me her name. I said, tell your wife I said hello or something like that. And he was like, he started laughing. I said, well, I just Wikipedia, I had no idea who you were. So that's an interesting perspective of where I am with my business, with residential investment advisors is we help clients invest in real estate. And so a lot of my clients are high net worth, a lot of owners of businesses, millionaires, the, the blue collar millionaires that kind of say, man, I don't know about the stock market and mutual funds. I'd rather have rental real estate that I can touch and feel. And a lot of them come to me with never owning a, a rental property and say, hey, how do I start? And so what I try to do is give them all the resources to be successful. So whether it be they need an insurance guy that does this kind of insurance on rental properties or need a good property management company or whatever, I tell them constantly, look, if you're successful buying and selling this real estate and owning it, you're going to make me successful because you're going to buy more and sell more and and I'm going to make more money. So I have a vested interest in seeing you do well. So I try to mentor them and help them guide them through the steps of, of being a successful investor. So...
1: And how did you get to that point? Do you want to walk us through that timeline?
0: When I met Jim, we bought a couple of duplexes and two unit houses that had renters in them. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to sign a lease, where to find a lease, anything. And I kind of think back if I would have had somebody helping me at the start and giving me some of these resources, how many less mistakes I would have made. And so I kind of, I'm trying to help people. Obviously, make limited amount of mistakes like I had when I started, and I was able to work through them. But I probably could have gotten maybe moved up the ladder in the rental property business a little bit faster if I wouldn't have made some of the mistakes we made. Just and honestly, is paying too much sometimes for property, not understanding the the numbers and how the expenses work. And so I kind of modeled it after what I would have liked to have when I guess I started. I think that's a a good point is you think you go into a business and this is how it's going to look a certain way and you kind of think you figured it out, but it evolves over time and it takes different shapes. And maybe when I thought it was going to go in direction and I was going to do a certain thing, it's, it's kind of taken off maybe a 90-degree turn. And then you see that, it's a little thing I think I've seen on Facebook, right? And also like a what people think success is and it's a straight line, right? Up, up at a 45-degree angle and what real success is. And it's like these twist and turns and ups and downs and circle around. That's what it really is you have good days, you have bad days, you have good months, you have bad months, and, and you just try to keep pushing forward. And I think that's what we've done with residential investment advisors is just seeing what works for people, what doesn't, and how to make the business better to to accommodate our clients ultimately.
1: During this time, can you tell us where you are now as far as how many properties you own and I guess the amount of doors and et cetera?
0: Yeah. So I, it's a roughly, I think a little over 300. I lose count some days, but you know, if you were to value, if I was to sell every apartment building off, it'd be I think around the $20 million mark. And then the brokerage firm will sell maybe 16 or $18 million this year in, in properties. And then the property management company will manage 15 to 2,000 doors. So it's a good business. I mean, I, I love what I do. I love being on podcasts like this. I think mostly with investing, if you can start young, like you said, you're in your young 30s. If you bought a couple rental properties in the next couple years and put them on a 20 year loan amortization, by the mid 50s, you'll have those paid off and actually the tenants will pay them off essentially. And so that's, I love getting in with people. Time can be your greatest friend, you know, if you're young because you get these starting to pay off. And if you buy 10 houses that each make $1,000 a month, which can be done here in Nashville, you get those paid off in 20 years. And you're looking at a $120,000 a year income by the time you're 50, that's all passive.
1: Well, during this growing phase, is there any other times that you didn't think that you were going to make it or that you had issues?
0: Jim and I, a couple years into it, we went and bought a 114 unit complex. And I was 27 years old, I guess at that time and had been doing it a couple of years. So my, I was still very new to the business and we converted all those 114 units to condos. There's a legal conversion you go through and there's nothing physical you do to the property, but legally you, you change them all to condos. And this complex is by a major university with about 30,000 students. And we thought, man, we'll, we'll sell these off to students, parents, you know, they can rent, you know, buy these condos close to the university. Great plan. I think we would have executed it and then the whole crash happened in real estate and I was in, I think, 07, 08 and there was no financing on condos. Pretty much condo financing had dried up completely. So I was stuck in a college town in like September or October with an apartment complex that was, or a condo complex that was 50% occupied. Because I had been kicking people out or asking them to leave so I could renovate these units and sell them off as condos. So college town didn't know anything about running an apartment building. And, uh, I, I mean, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, and so that, that was scary times. And I mean, the economy was bad rents were down, didn't know what I was doing, had had really no money to market the business and market the complex. So had to figure out every cheap way of setting out flyers and signs. And at that time, Craigslist was still new. So we were using Craigslist ads to rent. And, and I'd say it took us two or three years to get out of what that happened, you know, like that whole funk of uh, getting the property back full with good tenants that paid. And so that was those were scary times. You know, I was working down there, for, honestly, for about three years without a paycheck, and so I survived. I just kept telling people, look, if we can get through this and pay all of our bills and not get foreclosed, because I saw so many owners getting foreclosed on, mostly people who had bought, you know, here in Nashville and lived in other states because they couldn't be hands-on, and so you know, those were scary times. So I said, if we can get through this and, and get out the backside, pay all of our bills and pay all of our vendors. I will see that as an accomplishment, <laughs> and uh, and we did. And so, you know, a lot of people that are getting into real estate now kind of don't know what we had to go through during those days. And I hope they're not making some of the same mistakes.
1: Yeah, some other points. I guess. Did you want to jump on some of those?
0: Yeah, I mean, I wrote down the debt trap. I was lucky enough when I, like I said, when I was in college to keep walking past all those people with credit cards. And I think we've talked about this in the past is my wife and I realized that we didn't have to make that much money if we weren't spending that much money. A lot of people I talk to every day, I'm like, Hey, you should start that business. And I'm like, well, I've, I've got to make at least six or eight thousand dollars a month just to pay my bills. And I kind of always thought, man, if you didn't have all that debt or bills, you could do what you want, really want to be doing, but you're not willing to give up cable. You're not willing willing To give up all these luxuries that you're used to, and you know, I've just learned these lessons that like you're not going to get to the next level by thinking you can work nine to five. You know, when we started this business, and for all those years I was talking about that were bad, I worked 60, 70 hours a week in the beginning. And that's, I mean, if you're not willing to sacrifice that, I don't think you have the capability of getting there. So,
1: speaking of those hours, were you married at the time, and was that ever an issue at home?
0: Yeah, you know, I've got my kids are 9 and 10 now. So really when we started this, they were they were in their infancy and they were young and so, you know, my wife and I you learn things as you go. And and I would come home with a lot of stress, right? Obviously doing this millions of dollars in real estate debt and my wife finally just said to me, "Look, you need to leave that at the office and even phone calls. I'd walk in on the phone, business calls and the kids would want to like grab onto my legs. And I finally start realizing like I sit in the car until I'm done with a business call before I walk in the house. And then I have a very high, I call it stress threshold. So like, I can go to bed at night and I, I can sleep and I don't stress about things very easy. I think there's solutions to everything. And sometimes I just need time to get through that and think about it. I don't make decisions quickly on certain things. And so I, I don't stress like people's, I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm, I hear people's stories and maybe I'm not kind enough or whatever, but like, I'll hear them stressing about something. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing to be stressing <laughs> about. You know, I'm like, you don't even know what real stress is, but that's, you know, that's something Jim, again, you find these mentors, like I was talking about, and you, you hit a roadblock, let's say like that. Like I remember calling Jim one day, completely stressed out, and he said, look, calm down. And secondly, if you think that you're going to get to the level I'm at or, or want you, where you want to go, you got to learn how to deal with this.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's really important. In day, you can only control what you can control. So I've seen it time and time again, too. I think that's the number one thing when, you're running your business. There are people looking at you too. So if you're acting stressed out and crazy, what's everyone else going to do below you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I bought properly recently and you know, the, the vacancy kind of dropped just because we were charging more for rent. We were making some changes that the previous owner hadn't and the manager was really stressing out about it. And I said, look, it's fine. You know, calm down. We're, we're going to make a plan and we're going to work that plan. And so, I don't know, we start on that about debt though, and mentors, You know, back to the mentors. It might not be a mentor is going to sit here and go take steps A and B, but having that person that you can call, like when I have a big decision to make, there's probably about six people, if I wanted to, man, that I could call and say, what do you think about me doing this? Actually, we just did this about six months ago. My wife and I had a pretty big decision to make, and I called all of them and said, you know, this is kind of what I'm thinking about doing. Give me your thoughts. You know me, you know my business, you kind of know my finances. It's kind of like having a board of directors. And there's groups, like I joined a group last year, two years ago, it was called C12. It's a Christian CEO thing here in Nashville. And I think there's about 40 Christian CEOs. And some of these people have million dollar businesses. Some of them have $250 million businesses. And again, you get in those groups And you can start bouncing ideas off people and then you also meet people that are kind of in your same maybe predicament or or situation where they, they want your advice or perspective on certain things. So find those groups, find mentors, find people that you can talk to, learn to deal with stress situations.
1: What do you think has been the number one thing to help you grow? For instance, especially I guess after the condos, after you're able to get through that, manage the stress. What would you say is the number one thing that's helped you grow?
0: I'd say be a constant learner. So even though I'm not a big fan of like maybe a college degree, I, I'm always listening to books, going to real estate seminars. I've been a local, a member of our our real estate investment group for 12 years now. I watch. I, I love. Like Marcus Lemonis, The Prophet. I love that show. (laughs) I, I love, I just love learning. So I'd say keep learning, keep honing your craft, find something that you enjoy, that you're good at, and just keep working towards that and learning. For me right now, I know a lot about real estate. I'm trying to become a better business person, a better employer. A better agent for these people. So I think I understand the most part, a lot of the, the real estate aspect. But again, I'm, I'm trying to listen to books and learn just about being a better boss and things like how to grow my business without being, you know, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm trying to figure out how not to spend 70 hours a week, right? Cause, cause you get to this point, like for me, I did everything for years and years. You know, I, I sold 60, I did 60 transactions in one year all by myself. No assistant, no co-agent, nothing, just in a little 10 by 10 office with a computer, a cell phone, and a printer. And I did 60 transactions, which if you're not in real estate, that's a lot. And so, and then in the, in the meantime, on my part-time job was managing 150 units that I own. And so you, you get used to doing everything. And now after 10 years, it's trying to figure out how not to do everything and how to find good people to come alongside you that want to further the business and can help you out. So that those are the kinds of things I'm learning right now.
1: Was there a time that you realized you are looking back that you weren't learning and maybe you are just doing the day-to-day? Because I know that having me, I was a learner and then I just got sucked into the business where I was kind of doing everything like you were saying. And then I stopped learning after a few years, I'm like, yeah, maybe I need to start learning again, you know?
0: Well, I learned that there were people that knew could do a better job than me, right? and do it for less you know maybe make me more money so for, and and when i say that like for our big 114 unit complex i kind of was always like oh i'm gonna manage it myself i nobody will be able to run it maybe it's cheap and make as much money as i am on this property and i hired a management company that is excellent and i will never ever ever go back to doing the day to day management if they're around because they've just done such an excellent job running that property and so you start realizing you know what? There's other professionals out there. Let them do their job and you focus on what you're good at and what your task is. And so I would say that I've learned that. And I I probably was kind of stuck in my ways, if you want to say that, to uh, thinking that I knew best.
1: What does a typical day look like today for you compared to, I guess, when you're starting out in real estate?
0: So I've got the sales team, I call it here in Nashville, that I kind of work out of the office. We've got a small office right here by the airport in Nashville. and, And so my day will be Maybe, uh, 25% of the sales business. So that would be, you know, I'm still day to day selling property and meeting with owners and, and doing that stuff. So I've got a salesman, Matt, that works with me and an assistant. So I'll work in this office and we'll work on a few sales things. I will today that kind of. And then the management company, I might speak to the the lady that runs the management company a day for 20, 30 minutes. And then the other properties check in with managers, see where vacancies are. And so it's, it's a hodgepodge. Every day is different. I kind of like that. Some days I'm driving a couple hours to go look at a property or meet with an owner. And then other days it's back-to-back meetings. Every day is different. I guess if I looked at my business and I have seven or eight different corporations essentially under me. It's how to further and help push all those to the next step, right? So just being able to spend a couple hours, maybe an hour with Matt who sails with me and kind of go over what we're working and kind of give him my advice on what I think he probably needs to be focusing on right now. And I think that's kind of my coaching all these different companies to, to move forward.
1: Was there ever a piece of like technology or like software that you started implementing that really helped like grow the business that you didn't think of beforehand or anything of that nature?
0: No, I mean, you know, man, I'm so old school when it comes to that stuff. Like even you asking me to use Skype, I'm just like, Oh, Oh gosh, another software. Yeah. I, you know, I I don't know. I just I had no. I, I mean, obviously having cell phones and I'd say Facebook. I said this on, a, on another podcast. You know, we're using a lot of Facebook advertising, and it's working on the apartment buildings. And so, don't be scared to try new things. Something like that. I was like, well, let's just you know, we have a small apartment building, so let's just put ads up and try to see if that works, right? And it was a huge success using Facebook advertising for this apartment building. And I never thought using Facebook advertising would be good. But no, I'm pretty old school, man. I like to meet with people face-to-face. I like to talk one-on-one with people. And so that's I spend a lot of time really building relationships with people. And so, I mean, technology, I still have, I'm very visual. So like I have a huge whiteboard that I race on and draw on every day with tasks. And I'm a big list guy. I've got a legal pad sitting here. I'm not a technology guru. You talk about weaknesses, Right? You got to know your strengths and your weaknesses. And like I'm using a computer I think I've had for six years. I just, I'm not a technology guy. I'd say maybe one of my weaknesses.
1: <laughs> Before we close, I was just going to ask, what do you think is most important for the entrepreneurs who's listening and growing their business overall?
0: Just keep working, work hard, you know, find out what you're good at, what you're not good at. I think that somebody said hire your weaknesses. So I I know I'm weak in the technology. So when I hired an assistant, I wanted to make sure that she was had a lot of strengths when it came to technology, and she does. I'd say just again, it's it's work. It's old fashioned stuff, you know. It's all work hard, take good care of people. I mean, that's something we talk about on our apartment buildings, and it makes me mad when people argue with us about that. But treat others like you want to be treated, whether it be a, a client or a customer or somebody who works for you. Don't be a jackass. Take good care of the people that work for you. I sit here and think about all my tenants and think, man, I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that they pay their rent on time. And we try to take really good care of them because we know that they're paying the bills. And so just treat others good, man, and get to know people. That's the big thing. And you know, help people like you want to be helped. That's the thing. I can't sit here and go, oh, find mentors, find mentors if I'm not willing to be a mentor to somebody else. So podcasts like this, listen to them and just keep learning.
1: What do you see for your future as a company and you personally?
0: You know, I I put plans together last year. I sat down and with a group of advisors and said, where do I want to go? How do I want it to look? And I've been working a plan over the last year. One was to find an agent to take care of and take over the sales business. And so Matt's been here for a year and so he's been doing that. I'm really, I would like to be out raising money, raising private equity to find more uh, apartment buildings. And so, That's another job in itself, just uh, meeting with people who potentially want to invest with you. And so that those are the kinds of things I've been doing. You know, some of the properties I looked at my portfolio of what I own and I said, what's taking the most time and making me the least amount of money? And so we actually sold a few of uh, like 10 properties off this year that were just probably 40% of my time was being spent. So stepping back and looking and and reevaluating what you're doing.
1: Can we jump on that though real quick? Because I think that's really important. What made you think about that? Think about it that way as well.
0: Having this group of advisors that you go to and you say, C12, if you're a Christian and you're interested in business, I'd say seek a group out in your local community. They're in most metropolitan areas. For me, I felt kind of out of place because like I said, there were guys that had 50 employees and did $300 million in business. But man, they were so helpful to me. So I wanted sit, so you do this presentation. There's a presentation. You, we all met once a month for an entire day and you sit with these guys, right? And so I kind of laid out my business and they start challenging you with these questions. Like you're, you're asking good questions and saying, well, where do you want to go? What do you want to do next? And I said, well, this is kind of where I want to take it. Okay. Well, what steps do you need to take to get your business to, to that place where you want it? And so it just, you, you got to get those people that are going to challenge you and make you think. And so that's what I did. I, I kind of came up with a game plan and, and it, it's, it didn't happen overnight. And I, I worked this game plan and, you know, we're kind of coming out on the backside of it now. And it's probably time to sit down and come up with another a year or two year plan of where I want to go.
1: We appreciate you coming on. What would be the best way for someone if they want to say thank you for doing the podcast or reach out to you?
0: Yeah, you can email me anytime at uh, Dave at R-I-A and then a hyphen inc.com. So it's dave, D-A-V-E at r-I-A--I-N-C dot com. Shoot me an email. If you're here in the middle Tennessee area, I'd love to chat with you. If you want to talk about real estate in any part of the market, if you're a broker out there and you have multi-family deals. I'm I'm a buyer, so call me. I'm interested in getting on your list, and that's the best way to reach me.
1: I appreciate you coming on, Dave, and uh, sharing your story with us.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. YOLO
1: and OLA. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you enjoyed it and want to show us a little support, then we would love for you to leave us a five star review. It helps other potential listeners enjoy this fabulous show just like you. And it'll take less than 69 seconds to do it, I promise. And if you're looking for more episodes that are dealing with the real estate industry, then try out episode 15 with Jillian Hellman, or episode 21 with Bill Lyons, or upcoming episode 30 with Steve Wang. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next episode.